Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to the wonderful Alan Johnson. Alan is a regular guest on the podcast and today we are talking about a subject which is dear to both our hearts. The PhD as a transformational journey and all the highs and lows that that brings. And we also have a special tip for Star Wars fans. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Emma. It's so good to be back with you. I know. We were only together last night. So I know. It's very true. I know. <laughs> I closed my computer last night and reopened it this morning and get the opportunity to chat with you again, which is always a pleasure. Oh, it's so lovely. I, as people who, um, uh, if you listen to the podcast, then you will uh, recognize Alan. We've had a couple of conversations before. This is because we work together a lot. Um, and we were together last night because we work on PhD Circle. We co-facilitate that. Um, for me, it's always a joy to talk with you because it, it, when we met, it was this sense of finding someone else who has the, this uh, the same approach to attending to PhD researchers and the process that they are engaged in. And um, so it's lovely. I, I asked you to come back. It's lovely to have you back. Thank you for being back. Yeah, oh, I'm glad to be back. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the PhD as a journey. Um, I think a lot of the time we talk about doing the PhD like it's a thing. And um, actually, it's, it's a, a range of processes and you go through different phases. And we're going to sort of unpick that a little bit because it does tend to trip people up. And we thought it was worth just unpicking that a bit for people. Um, but before we do that, I always ask people about their own journey, um, and we've we've I've already quizzed you all on that. Um, but to talk about the different phases that you came across within your journey, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. And thinking about it now, I realized that on all of my previous times in the podcast, I've spoken about primarily post PhD journey, right, journey right. or spoken about my actual PhD journey in very short, brief terms. And I've never really spoken about the journey itself. I think the best way to describe my own PhD journey was that there were loads of different forks in the road along the way and mm. different decisions and opportunities and challenges that ultimately created this really unique story, this really unique path that I followed that I couldn't have seen at the beginning. I couldn't have imagined the ultimate destination from the outset. Um, but there was a there was a sense of trusting in each step along the way. Because my accent gives away that I'm not from England originally. And I did my undergraduate degree in the US in English and art history. And I loved both subjects equally. And really oddly perhaps my passion in English literature was British modernism. And my passion in art history was South Asian bronze sculpture from the Chola dynasty. So completely what? different geographical, completely different um, time periods. But I had this really, really strong passion in these very specialist areas. And I knew I wanted to carry on for graduate work, initially an MA and then hopefully a PhD after that. And I was applying for MA programs in art history and in English literature right. because I didn't really know how to, to make my, my decision. And then there was, there was one day 
where uh, I, I don't know what happened. The sun was was out and shiny, and I just really, really felt that English literature was the the right way to go. At that moment, I had to make that decision. I had that fork in front of me, and I chose one route. Mm. I could have chosen the other, and I could have been in a very different place, but I'm glad that I did. And because I, I was so fascinated by British literature, I wanted to come to England to do my MA. And the original plan was always that, you know, I'm going to just go go to England for nine months. Back then, MA programs were nine months long, and they were about two years long in the US. So it was substantially shorter and be a time to live in England for nine months. But at the end of that, I would I would definitely come back to America. <laughs> probably do a PhD, or maybe I wouldn't do a PhD. So then I was doing the MA, and I had this new fork in front of me. And and then I started applying for PhD programs and it became clear to me that I did want to carry on for the PhD. And I was applying in North America and in England and, you know, two sort of equal options, both of which seemed completely viable and exciting to me. And then in a very similar way to that sort of moment of realization that I had as a, a final year undergraduate student, I thought, no, why don't why don't I stay in England? And and I did. And and that began my PhD journey, which was um, a journey in all sorts of different ways. And mm. I, one of the things that stayed with me most through that journey is the recognition that some of the biggest pieces of the transformation within me on that journey wasn't just me sitting down and writing my research, or it wasn't just me talking to my supervisor. There's something that happens during a doctoral journey. There's something almost alchemical when you are with your um, colleagues and speaking about their research or going to a seminar or learning something new outside of your area or hearing that guest lecture from the visiting professor. There's that sense of the, the ideas of your own discipline being recreated within you. And that journey isn't something that I really understood. No one described to me at the outset how that alchemical process of doctoral training works. It was something that I I was observing along the way and I was realizing, well, this doesn't really look like or feel like how I learned as an undergraduate. Mm. And it doesn't even really look like or feel like how I learned as an MA student. There's mm. something here that is much more embodied. It's much more all-encompassing. And it's something that even though it seems very solitary, my journey through the PhD wasn't solitary at all. It was me writing my own thesis. And I work in a discipline where we don't regularly collaborate all that often. It's a discipline that even academics generally um, write only single authored articles and monographs. But even in spite of that, there was this real sense of the 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 growth within me and the growth of me as coming through that that community and being in that community of knowledge. And one of my early mentors after my PhD and my first academic job, she said something to me once, which really stuck with me. And I say to all of the new PhD students where I teach at the moment, that doing a PhD will break you apart in order to build you up stronger and more powerful than you were to begin with. And it's taken a few years for me to really understand what she meant by that, because the the journey of the PhD is something that is necessarily uncharted territory. None of us know what to expect when we go into it, but others have been through that journey before. And I think that's the important thing. Well, it's unfamiliar to us. We do have those 
those guides, those, those mentors around us who have been through similar journeys and can um, leave a trail of breadcrumbs behind, perhaps, or lead some useful clues and support along the way. Oh, I love this so much. And I, I think I love the way that you're putting it in terms of the, the kind of the alchemy of the doctoral program and that it is you know we talk about that a lot here on the podcast in terms of this is a personal development journey um not everybody realizes that when they're signing us no. <laughs> um, and like like you like your uh your mentor said this sense of being broken apart and that actually you will change the doctor you is a very different person to the person that you set out as and that's part of um engaging with uh, like you say, with your peers, with your um, colleagues, with the material that you are diving into, but it also is about engaging with yourself. And um, as you say, the 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 forks in the road, the choices that you make, and the directions that you it takes you in. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that it can become so easy for us to become fixated on the external indicators of the PhD. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. walk across the stage with that floppy hat and tassel. And getting the the letters after your name and all of that, and those are the the really important, really valuable external indicators of the completion of a doctoral program. But that floppy hat and that velvet gown and graduation day that isn't the the physical object that somehow magically transforms you. It's that process of transformation that you've been through and successfully completed that that title and that special academic gown represents. It's Absolutely. not the magic of those letters. It's the process that gets you there that makes the change. Absolutely. And I think it also is also along the way as well, isn't it? I think we can yeah. get obsessed with word count, whereas actually it can be about sitting with the material that you're with, sitting with the process that you're with. That's what's going to get you there. Um, I, I say, actually, the external indicators are not always the ones that are important. Not Absolutely. usually the ones that are important, actually. It makes me think of a story because I um, I studied karate when I was young and not for many years. And I wasn't particularly good, but I, something really stuck with me that my karate teacher said, because the you know I grew up in a karate system where you have different colored belts. You begin with a white belt and then you go to a yellow belt and a blue belt and a purple belt and onward and all different color systems and different traditions of martial arts. But I remember my teacher telling me when I was young that that's a really recent invention that uh, you know people training in martial arts previously would begin with a white belt and then after years and years and years of practice and dedication and and commitment to their work and to their craft that that white belt would become so dirty and dingy that it would become a black belt oh, and you literally over time earned it and i can't attest to the the veracity of that story that's a story that came to me from my karate teacher i don't know if that's that's accurate or not but i think that the um the the suggestion behind that that we we earn we earn things such as qualifications or degrees or, you know, that floppy hat or whatever it is. We earn that through that regular showing up to that process and that commitment to our practice of growth within an intellectual community and contributing to new knowledge. Yes, yes, it is that sense of you truly do earn your doctorate, you earn your stripes here. Um. So you and I are very interested in, excited about, uh, evangelical, dare I say it even, about the, the, the fact of this, this, as you say, the the 
alchemy of the doctoral journey, the soul work of the doctoral journey, the mythical elements of the doctoral journey. And so that's why we wanted to talk today about this this kind of the sense of the journey of the PhD, of it being almost this kind of this hero's journey through through. Um, so I I wonder if you could start to articulate that a little because as you've just said, actually nobody knows what's going to happen when you set out, and that's part of it. <laughs> um, but we can we can identify particular elements that may be part of the journey. So I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit more about that model of understanding. This this is very much where my own academic research comes into it, because I, I mentioned that I specialize in English literature, but I specialize in specifically comparative mythology and the study of esotericism and the, the study of narrative form. And there was a really, really interesting observation made by a Victorian anthropologist um, called James Fraser. And he pointed out that quite a lot of the, the myths around the world from all different cultures, all different time periods, shared a number of really, really significant and really telling features. That it wasn't that all parts of mythological history told completely different stories, but that they were seemingly tapping into some innate part of human experience. And we saw these these myths emerging in many different places. And then shortly after that, the psychoanalyst Carl Jung became really fascinated by this as examples of archetypes, that the stories and myths from the past are examples of the archetypes that uh, that our mind expresses itself through. And I think where all these ideas really began to, to converge is in the middle of the 20th century um, with someone called Joseph Campbell, who wrote a really, really influential and wonderful book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Mm-hmm. And in that, he picked up on what Fraser had looked at um, about 60 or 70 years before and recognized that in lots of different stories and myths from the past, we see a similar journey of a hero or heroine from a a place of being in the ordinary, everyday world through going through a series of challenges and difficulties and overcoming those challenges and difficulties to then return home, having been changed as a person. Mm -hmm. And see that type of narrative in lots of different ways and in quite a lot of uh, contemporary playwriting and screenwriting textbooks actually talk specifically about the hero's journey. So it draws on someone inspired by Joseph Campbell called Christopher Vogler, who pinpointed these 12 steps in the hero's journey. And that's um, many, many screenwriters are familiar with this and they will actually plot their films based on this. But what Vogler did when he condensed some of Campbell's longer and more complex and slightly more esoteric terms. He talked about how journeys begin in the ordinary world, and then the individual, that hero or heroine, gets what Vogler called the call to adventure, that that sort of, that hint, that whisper that there's something more, that there's something different, that there's a challenge that might lie ahead. It's kind of like that fork in the road that I described when I was an undergraduate, when I was thinking, okay, do I do English literature? Do I do art history? And and I had that call to adventure. And, and that ultimately took me abroad to a country that I live in now. And, and Vogler carries on to talk about the, you know, the remaining nine steps. There's 
usually that refusal to that call, that sense where the individual feels that maybe that call is too much for them or that call is too dangerous or it puts them in a position of risk. And what tends to happen, Vogler and Joseph Campbell pointed out, when the individual tries to refuse that call, then suddenly a mentor comes along. And the the English term mentor comes to us specifically from Homer. Um, The character of mentor um, in the Odyssey was that first archetypal mentor who was able to encourage and support Telemachus as he was um, in search for understanding of himself and the role that he played in the world. And of course, Homer's work in the Odyssey in particular is a great example of this hero's journey. So we're called to challenge or call to adventure. We meet a mentor. We cross a threshold. We are challenged and meet new allies. Then we we move to, to what Vogler calls the, the innermost cave, or what some other traditions of theology refer to as the dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. the moment in the journey where everything seems impossible. And I, I've supervised many PhD That's students. There will be a lot of people going, yep, yep, I recognize oh, absolutely. this. <laughs> absolutely. And I've supervised many PhD students over the year. And without fail, there has come a time and a different point for all of them where they have said to me that, you know, this feels impossible. I can't do this. I'm, I'm you know, losing steam. Um, I don't know where to go. And every single time they say that to me, I can look them in the eye and very, very honestly and truthfully say to them, I'm so glad that you gave voice to that because this means that you are about to come out of that innermost cave or that dark night of the soul because everyone goes through that. And when we recognize that we are in that point, that's the moment when we begin coming out of it. And then we begin moving toward that final reward, receiving um, those letters after our name and the, um, the, the sense internally or externally of the the value that that means for us and then are able to take all of that learning and the transformation that we gained on our journey back with us into the ordinary world the the world that the hero and the hero's journey returns to even though it's their own homeland or it's their own ordinary world so to speak they realize that the world has changed, but because they have changed mm-hmm. and what they bring back with them after the hero's journey is what makes that ordinary world different to them because suddenly they are able to bring more, to offer more, to understand more, to to care more, and to perhaps be that mentor on another person's journey along the way and to be that person who says, you know, I, I see that you're going through this moment of complete worry and panic. We all go through this and we're going to come out of it um, because that's the next stage in the journey we're going through. Love this. And I think this is why we wanted to talk about this model because it can be so frightening and so difficult, the PhD journey, really disorientating, really lonely. Um, and And the kind of take home message is, trust the process (laughs) but if you don't have a sense of what that process is or what might be happening it 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 can become more anxiety provoking and this this model gives us a sense of what this process might be about um because i say it's easy for us to say oh it's all about self-development and stuff it's like but what does that mean 
Um, and knowing that there's a dark night of the soul coming or being in the dark night of the soul is totally normal. It's part of the process. It's a productive part of the process indeed. Um, can be really helpful to, in terms of understanding what's going on and to be able to trust the process. Because when you do trust the process, it can open up. It energetically is very different and it just opens up different possibilities for you, doesn't it? Yeah, it's that trusting in the process, which is so important. And what's so valuable here is that this, this model of the hero's journey isn't something that I created. It isn't something that Joseph Campbell created. It isn't something that Christopher Vogler created. It is what story after story and myth after myth from culture after culture has embedded in the the narratives that they choose to treasure most and mm. share with future generations. Mm. And it's something deeply human and deeply humane. Mm. And it, it reminds us as well that you know, when Odysseus was going off, he was fighting monsters and and demons, you know, big, big challenges. Mm. But the PhD is a big, big challenge in the same mm. way that the hero's journey of the, the great heroes of the classical mythical tradition and all of the other um, mythological and folkloric traditions around the world represented to embark on the journey of a doctorate, to, um, to accept that call to adventure is to become the hero of our own journey to become the hero of our story it's it's big stuff but it's there's a, a very long very ancient humanities tradition of understanding the structure and understanding what steps might come along the way in this journey and the journey looks different to everyone so yes, it's not saying that the hero's journey that we all follow these 12 steps or Campbell actually gave 17 steps along the journey we don't all follow these sequentially in order and we don't spend you know the same amount of time in each of these so we're not able to get out our diary and this is something i would love to do because i'm such a planner and a list maker <laughs> i'm not able to get out my diary and say right there are 12 steps in this process yes. and my phd is going to be three years so i'm going to spend three months in each of these stages it's much more fluid than that and we might return to certain earlier stages over time or we might skip to a later stage early on only in order to need to return to the stages that we missed previously so it's not a um sort of a a, a set definitive structure it is a it's a model it's a guide and it gives us clues and waypoints along the way. Um, it gives us a sense of what we might be able to expect, but also recognizing that our journey is not going to look like Odysseus's in the same way that our journey is not going to look like the person that shares an office with us who's doing a PhD in the same topic. Absolutely. That's that's the really important thing as well, isn't it? It's your journey and it will ha have that kind of a unique experience which is brilliant and also deeply troubling at the same time because it's like, what, what, what? But I think this sense of really, this sense of it as a mythical journey, as an as an adventure, um, and there's so much more than just a job <laughs> because I think people are, are told often in a way that I think is a bit confusing that, right, well, this is your job now. You don't expect necessarily to go through this, these kind of big, of chemical processes as part of a job. And that is what is, that's what's going to be part of this experience. So having a sense of an understanding of it as a, as a bigger process 
hopefully will be helpful to people um as a sense of a as you say as a sense of a guide but also as a sense of um permission giving that you are on an adventure <laughs> yeah, yeah and and none of us go through this this journey this hero's journey structure once in our lifetime this is something that we do at different stages in our life yeah. the, the very yeah. nature of growing up the ages of sort of three to seven are profoundly transformative for a young person. And we go through the hero's journey then as well as we're learning to interact with the world around us. And we learn to understand our own sense of identity. And we learn to understand the identities of those outside of us. And then in adolescence, we go through a similar journey, the the struggles of adolescence, finding out <clears throat> who we are and how we fit into society. And then in university and then during the the doctorate as well. And, you know, I'll, I'll let everyone in a secret after a doctorate, this journey can begin again in a new way because you find yourself having returned to the ordinary world, changed for the better and have an opportunity to, to maybe look for new journeys, whether that is an academic journey or it's moving into industry with your research or using your research in other ways. Our life is filled with almost limitless opportunities to continue to journey and adventure and to listen for that call to adventure and to to accept and believe that when we approach that call with openness and honesty and authenticity that we will be met by mentors along the way who have been in that journey before and will will support us and guide us and point us in the directions when we need it love it and and again on the podcast we get a lot of shout outs for amazing people who um and the mentors are not always just the supervisors they're your you know okay. you're your, they're your non-human teachers <laughs> the furry research assistants they're mm-hmm. the colleagues they're the peers they come all around you and i think what comes through really strongly in terms of what you're saying and and i know that because we are very keen on this as a process of kind of to zoom out and see it as a bigger see this phd in a, in a bigger sense, rather than I think often the culture is to push on through, get on with it, push on through. And actually, a lot of what we do in, in Circle um, and in what we're going to be doing in the Planathon, which we'll do again at the beginning of the year, is this sense of reflection, stepping back, having a look at it, understanding it as a process um, and reflecting on what's happening in order to be able to to serve yourself in that process better um so this sense of reflection is really important and and acknowledging and processing what is going on as part of the journey um as well as being concerned about word count <laughs> mm. there can be a real overemphasis on what we call time management that yes that yes. large projects can be can be organized in in a completely watertight, concrete way, which time management is a very, very important skill for doctoral researchers, of course. But what we don't talk about often enough is energy management. Yes, yes. And the fact that if we, as researchers, attempt to just go flat out at our research, running a million miles at it, we probably aren't going to achieve the, the same quality of outcomes and in the same length of time as we would if we recognize that we're really managing our energy there as well, that we really need to allow ourselves time for reflection. We need to allow ourselves time for turning inward, for thinking, at the same time that we need to allow ourselves opportunities for 
radical expansion in those those weeks or months where we are absolutely on fire and are turning up page after page and are having great ideas. Those moments come as well, and we can learn how to manage that particular energy, but acknowledging to ourselves that there will be times after it where we do maybe just simply need to read for a few days or a few weeks just to think and to reflect. And I think that's what the, the hero's journey is really reminding us about, that the hero's journey is it's not a a structure that moves through at a set pace. There are peaks and troughs. There are moments of speed and moments of silence. And of course, that's what we talk a lot about in circle as well, because we, we always have the seasonal practices, which are aligned to the different seasons that we're in. And, you know, we're in the um, season of autumn and almost winter in the Northern hemisphere. And we've been talking a lot about what it means to think about rest or to turn inward, not as a, a way to retreat from our work. It's not about giving up on our work. It's about filling the well. It's about building and restoring those stores of energy and insights so that when a different time comes, a different stage in the hero's journey, we have that vitality and we have that inspiration to to really bring through the ideas that have been brewing in us during a period of quiet and calm. I love that. I love that. And I think, again, that can be very confusing for people because they, we talk about the PhD. And as you say, people expect to set off at a pace and just keep going. And then when the the the, the energy changes and the pace of work changes, especially when you go into that messy middle phase, people are like, I, it's, I can't do it anymore. I don't know what I'm doing. It's got really slow. And it's like, yes, exactly that. You've gone into a new phase. This is the new phase. This is what you need to do in this phase. And that's absolutely right. It's absolutely where you need to be. And understanding it as a process, I think, can be really helpful um, in that. Um, Although now I'm aware of time. Talk about time management. I'm aware of time. You and I can talk about this, as we know. (laughs) All day long. Um, but if you do want to, if you are interested and you do want to kind of join us and hear us talking more, then obviously you're very welcome to come and join us in Circle. You're very welcome to join us in the Planathon. I will put the details of that in in the in the show notes. Um, but I need to just ask you, Ellen, now as as we're closing, and I know we've covered so much here. Is I know it's always a ridiculous question, but <laughs> do you have um, a top tip or some top tips to take away? in terms of this understanding the PhD as a journey? Yeah, the, so the hero's journey and this, this process of initiation, another way to describe the hero's journey, we see it in so many films. We see it in Harry Potter. We see it in Indiana Jones. We see it in Star Wars. Um, we see it in a huge amount of Victorian literature. We see it everywhere. And what can be so useful is to find one of these, these narratives of the hero's journey Uh, that really, really speaks to you. It might be Lord of the Rings, or it might be something else. And watch it again. And as you're watching it again, really allow yourself to to notice those different stages of the hero's journey that the hero or heroine goes through. And think about maybe where you are in that phase of your research. Are you approaching the gates of Mordor? Or are you setting off from the Shire um, after the call to adventure? And and that's what's so valuable and vital about this this mythopoetic structure of the hero's journey. It's everywhere around us. So being conscious to that and seeing that in a film that really speaks to us and 
thinking about how maybe we're like that hero in that journey might just bring us a little bit of clarity around what the next steps on our doctoral research journey might look like. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ellen. Um, I will see you again very soon, I know. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And thank you all for listening. 